Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 96. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about wrapping up another year with Principal Matters. Happy New Year. As you're looking at your past year, I'm sure that you are grateful for the connections and relationships and opportunities that you've had to grow personally and professionally. And so am I. And each year I like to take a look back at the work that's happening through the content I'm sharing on my blog and my podcast. And so this week's episode is a summary of some of the goals that I've reached this past year and a look ahead into 2018. If you are a consistent listener to this podcast or you consistently read my blog or you've checked out my other content through my books, Principal Matters or Messaging Matters, Thank you for the lessons that we have learned together as we continue to serve our teams or our schools or our organizations in personal and professional development. You know, five years ago, I launched my website, Principal Matters, and so much has happened since then. At the time, I was serving my school, Skytook High School, where I had been since 2006. I had been named an assistant principal of the year. And I wanted to create content that I could be sharing with fellow school leaders on ways that we could grow in our school leadership. And a lot has happened. As I look back at this past year, for instance, uh, the blog itself has continued to grow. It has never had an enormous amount of traffic, uh, but just in the five years since I've launched it, I have had 1,300 and 40,815 views, which is shocking to me that that many people would check out the content that I've shared. But just for some context, you know, George Kuros, who is an amazing writer and speaker on school leadership, has a website that has millions of views, and he's generously allowed my post to be shared simultaneously on his website called Connected Principles. And I went and checked out one of the posts that I put there a couple of years ago called 30 Questions for Principal Interviews. It has been downloaded on his site 194,013 times. So I'm grateful that my content is being viewed some. Uh, people like George Kuros and others who have large followings obviously see a lot more of their content being shared. But in the little corner of sharing that I have with school leaders, I'm grateful. So thank you for those who check out my blog post and also for those who reshare it on social media outlets like Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I also had the privilege this year of doing some guest blogging on Solution Tree's blog and you can check out their blog at solutiontree.com slash blog for some great posts there by other authors and presenters with Solution Tree. Also this year, it's been exciting to see content shared through podcasting and I didn't begin podcasting until two years ago when I decided that I would simultaneously take what I was writing each week and share an audio version of that. And so to date, I have seen those episodes downloaded 96,475 times, which averages this past year to around 1,000 downloads per week. So if you're a consistent listener, thank you for taking time to learn together through these audio posts. 
And then one of the biggest accomplishments for 2017 that I saw professionally was the publication of my second book, Messaging Matters, How School Leaders Can Inspire Teachers, Motivate Students, and Reach Communities, that Solution Tree Press published this summer. You know, publishing a book is an enormous labor of love, um, but I was so excited to go through the process to learn what it's like to have a team of editors to work with an organization as professional and as wonderful as Solution Tree Press. And so I'm excited. I'm planning a series of webinar presentations this coming semester on ideas from that new book. So feel free to uh, listen in for more details in the coming weeks and months. I'm also excited that this year I was able to transition to a new position as the executive director of the Oklahoma Association of Secondary Principals, as well as the executive director for Oklahoma's Middle Level Education Association. Both of these organizations are integral parts of the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma's School Administrators, or COSA, and it is such an honor to work with COSA's amazing team of directors and staff. It's really a dream come true to have the privilege of serving principals and education leaders across my entire state. And although I miss my school and my team members, in fact, I still dream about them often and uh, forget that I'm not there every day, I am loving the opportunity to invest in present and in future school leaders. So it's been an exciting few months in that new position. And then finally, I've had some great opportunities uh, with speaking this past year. In addition to the work I've done with school leaders in Oklahoma, I've had the privilege of connecting with leaders across the nation as I've shared in conferences or professional development days. So thank you for the for those of you with whom I've partnered in uh, nine different locations throughout 2017. Uh, just a quick summary of those events. In January of last year, I spoke at the Minnesota Association of Secondary School Principals Winter Conference. So thank you to Dave Adney. Uh, we had a great time at the Doubletree Conference Center in Bloomington, Minnesota. In February of 2017, Texas Association of Secondary School Principals hosted me for their assistant and aspiring principal conference in Austin, Texas. So thank you for to my friends um, in Texas for that invitation, as well as inviting me back to become a distinguished speaker for their summer conference in Austin, Texas in June of 2017. Also, my friends at Growing Leaders in Atlanta, Georgia, with Tim Elmore and his amazing team, hosted an event in June of 2017 called the Growing Leaders National Leadership Conference, and I was able to do a presentation on Eight Hats, the essential roles for school leaders there. And in July of 2017, the Okaloosa County School Administrators Conference in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, had a day of training for their school administrators. Thank you for the invitation from Florida's Principal Association to connect with Okaloosa County School Administrators there. And in August, Berkeley County Schools hosted an event in Martinsburg, West Virginia, where I got to connect with all of the administrative teams from around that county for a day of training in essential leadership skills for school leaders. It was a lot of fun. Also, just a couple of weeks ago in December, I was invited by the United School Administrators of Kansas to teach at their assistant principal workshops in Topeka on December 4th and Wichita, Kansas on December 11th. So thank you, G.A. Bowie and the wonderful folks at USA Kansas for that invitation too. So what's in store for 2018? 
if you are listening consistently to these podcasts or reading my posts, uh, you can uh, expect that those posts will continue throughout this year. The majority of my work, obviously, will be invested in serving COSA members by providing support and advocacy and training and conferences for principals and educators across my own state in Oklahoma, but I am still writing and podcasting and sharing with school leaders through my work with Principal Matters. Uh, writing and learning is a passion of mine, so I'm excited to be able to do both of those uh, in conjunction. And although my out-of-state presentations may be more limited in number because of the work that I do so um, much here in Oklahoma, I am scheduled for events in 2018. If you'd like to see uh, what's coming up in this coming year, uh, you can check out my website at williamdparker.com. If you want to see my speaking page, you can go to williamdparker.com speaking and you can see where I'm scheduled to being events in, in Alabama, in Georgia, in Nevada. And if you are interested in uh, my availability for a conference or professional learning day that you may be planning, feel free to reach out to me at my website, or you can email me at will at williamdparker.com. I'd love to talk to you about opportunities that you have for connecting with school leaders in your area. You know, as I look at the new year, I'm excited to increase service to principals in my state, as well as folks across the nation and internationally. And I'm even dreaming about the content uh, for my next book, but I'm going to save those details uh, for coming months. But I wanted to wrap up this week's conversation by replaying some bonus material for you. Uh, this past month, I wrapped up a webinar series covering all the topics in my first book, Principal Matters, The Motivation, Courage, and Action, and Teamwork Needed for School Leaders. And I wrapped up that webinar series by talking about three topics. One, caring for schools in times of grief. Two, the eight essential roles of leaders, which is based on my keynote, Eight Hats for School Leaders, which is a good reminder of the habits you need to continuously practice to be an effective school leader. And finally, I share part three, 10 interview tips for education positions. Some takeaways that I share with people looking at education positions, how to stay prepared, and to be the most effective you can be in those interview settings. And so I'm going to transition over now to that bonus material. I hope you enjoy it. And at the end, I'll come back in for some closing thoughts. Thanks for listening and thanks for doing what I'm This week, we're going to be discussing the last part of the book, Principal Matters, The Motivation, Action, and Courage and Teamwork Needed for School Leaders, specifically the chapters on managing loss, the essential roles that school leaders need to continuously practice, and then some tips on uh, school interviews, and then a, a story at the end. So I just want to wrap up today's conversation with some, hopefully, some practical suggestions, as well as a story at the end just to encourage you in the work that you're doing as a school leader. The first part of today's conversation is a topic that's not fun to talk about, but it's something that schools deal with, unfortunately, on a consistent basis. And that's dealing with student loss, especially dealing with grief at the loss of a student, or sometimes it could be a staff member or a teacher within your building. If you've been in this business long enough, you've had that situation where you've managed the loss of students. And I've had that experience as a teacher, losing a student from my own classroom. I've had that experience as an assistant principal watching our schools grieve through the loss of students through health crisis. And as a high school principal, I've had that experience more than once um, where we've lost students uh, through accidents 
or through things that have happened outside of school. And so today, I just want to talk to you from the, from the perspective of, of, of a practicing principal. What are some of the steps that I have taken in student loss? And what are some of the lessons that I've learned managing those situations that might be helpful in your own practice? I'm going to use a scenario that happened about seven years ago now that in the high school where I was serving, just as an example, it's a case study one situation, and we've managed this more than once, unfortunately, but one day we received a message that a high school cheerleader in our building had been involved in a fatal accident. She was returning from a morning meeting that she had had off campus when there was a collision, and she was taken to the hospital, and so at the first all we heard was that there had been an accident and we knew that there had been a student injured and we immediately began to try to gather information. The school that I was serving at the time was at Skytook with 750 ninth through 12th graders. And so even though it's a 5A school, a mid-size 5A school, it is still a small community in the sense that everyone is friends and knows one another. And so, of course, people wanted to understand what was happening. And so the first tip I give in any situation where you're managing loss is communicate, communicate, communicate. Find out what you can discover that's factual and then figure out ways that you can begin to communicate that out to teachers or students or community members in the most appropriate ways. And there's lots of ways to do this. We were able to get a staff member that was uh, trusted by that family on site almost immediately to begin to gather information for us and send it back to us. We began to set up some specific emails that we sent out to teachers just detailing the facts as we knew them at the time. And then we called an emergency faculty meeting the following morning so that we could sit down with all of our teachers and give them the facts as we knew it because at that point the student had not passed away. And so the goal was for us to communicate, 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 make sure that people knew what information that we knew. The second tip I would give you is be present and be visible. When you've got a situation that's involving student loss, it's important for people to see you present and to see you visible. So sometimes that means clearing your calendar. I remember specifically in those situations where I may have had meetings or observations that had to be rescheduled because I wanted to make sure that I could be present. If I have a student who's been hospitalized, I'm going to be at that location if possible to connect with parents, to let them know that we're thinking about them and praying for them, that we support that family member. And it's also important to be visible around the school. And so if you are dealing with a situation that involves student loss, it's important that you are attending events. In the situation that I'm describing with our student, she ended up passing away after her third day of hospitalization. And so we ended up hosting the funeral at our school because of the size. And so needless to say, it took a lot of time and it took a lot of presence for us to make sure that we were supporting that work throughout the week. But it was also important for me to be in hallways, to be in classrooms, to be in the commons area, to be very visible so that students felt supported in a time when they were grieving. The third tip is this, maintain stability and routine where possible. Kids are amazingly resilient and it's an important part of coping during crisis by trying to reestablish some stability and routine where possible. So that means that even though we set up counselors even though we set up opportunities for students to come to the office or to a counselor if they needed to talk, even though we had some students that were going to be off campus during that time, we tried to maintain as much stability and routine as possible while we were managing the loss and the grief that students were experiencing during that crisis. 
At the same time, we encouraged our teachers to stay on task, to follow their lesson plans. In the scenario I described earlier, we had a professional development day that had been planned that we canceled because we knew that instead of having substitutes in the rooms, we needed as many of our teachers in there as possible. So students felt comfortable. They felt like life was still following some kind of routine so that they could reestablish a sense of normality even in in the time of, of grief. Another suggestion that I make when you're trying to manage times of loss and grief is to allow students to express themselves. And so sometimes that means being flexible with spontaneity or creativity. I'll give you an example. We had one teacher that told me she had a math class where the student who had passed away was in her period. And when she went into that classroom the day after the student had passed, all the students were very quiet. The desk where that student sat, um, they were, it, was, it was an uncomfortable moment for them as they were trying to figure out how to conduct class. And finally, she realized that it was not going to be easy for her to teach. And she spontaneously got out a Sharpie and asked the kids if they would like to sign the student's desk and write special memories to her on it. She didn't ask my permission to do that, and it was okay, because that's exactly what those kids needed at that time. And, and after they had all taken time to do that, there was a sense of calm. There was a sense of that those kids had been able to at least express themselves, and then they were able to get back to learning. And so sometimes you have to be flexible, allow kids opportunities for spontaneity and creativity. Our kids in this situation had come and asked me if they could have a day to dress up in a certain color just to, uh, as a memorial for that student, and, and we said yes. So we tried to give kids an opportunity to express themselves. The next tip I would give is this, don't be afraid to ask for outside help. Anytime we've had situations that have involved student loss, we have not just relied on our own experts and counselors within our building, but we've reached out to those across our district and in neighboring districts. And there are lots of organizations who will express help and and provide licensed therapists for schools if you'll reach out to them and ask. Um, But also we um, have a good relationship with the pastors in our community. So a lot of them would come in and provide help that way too. So don't be afraid to ask for outside help. The next tip is this, appreciate the students that you have present. Sometimes when you're dealing with loss and grief, it's hard for that not to be the only thing on your mind. And so it's important that you pick your head up and look around for the students in your school who are still doing amazing and productive things and make sure that you appreciate them. I remember specifically when we had lost that student uh, in the scenario that I described that we were getting ready for semifinals in football. And we still took time to make sure that we recognized the kids that were uh, getting ready to celebrate that event. We held an evening dinner for them. We made sure that we were promoting them in our email releases. And so even as we were grieving We were at the same time continuing to congratulate and recognize and appreciate the students who were doing their work throughout the school days. The next tip is this, prepare for media contact. And and I can't overemphasize this point. When you lose a student often in a community situation at a high school, people want to know. And so we typically um, have a system set up where we will contact the parents and make sure that they feel comfortable with us sharing that student's photo and a short paragraph about that student's work at our school. Preparing for media contact, it's inevitable uh, in situations that someone will contact you. In our case, it was often news stations, either through the paper or through television. And so having something that was approved ahead of time through our district and that we had reached out for parents to make sure that they felt comfortable with that 
gave us the opportunity to share that out, to email that to those groups that were asking for that so that they could share it in the news and that that task that we would help them in a way to also to honor that student in that situation and that family too. And the last tip I'm going to give is this. Um, whenever you're dealing with loss and you're trying to manage and care for the students and teachers within your school, it's important to recognize your own need for, for personal reflection. And so often, I think this is probably something that I did not realize until I was in the moment, but there were times where I needed to find some alone time and to be able to process and grieve myself. And uh, often when we're trying to, to manage a school-wide situation and we're doing all the managerial roles and we're trying to make sure we're doing good communication and we're being visible or we're attending funerals, sometimes we forget how that affects us personally. So make sure that you take time uh, if you're dealing with loss to connect with your family, connect with those whom you love, connect with those who support you, and, and make sure that you're taking time to reconnect with those who provide you with comfort. Uh, because as you're trying to be the chief comforter in your school, you need to make sure that you're receiving comfort as well. I know that's a difficult topic to discuss, but I think it's important for all of us when we're dealing with grief that we take time to plan ahead. And so, believe it or not, I've uh, when I first walked through this scenario as a high school principal, I wrote down a journal of all of the steps that we took in that situation of grieving and loss. And I shared it as a blog post. And later, when we encountered other situations of student loss, I would go back to those notes and I would follow the tips I just gave you. Um, because making sure that I was walking through those steps consistently helped people to feel supported, appreciated, honored, and comforted during a time of grief. So now it's your turn. What are some other takeaways that you would, that you would share for dealing with grief or dealing with loss when it comes to managing a time where you've lost a student or you've lost a staff member or someone within your school? In the comment section of Zoom, you can leave some thoughts and ideas there, and I'd love to hear some other ideas on takeaways that you have as well. The second topic of today's conversation deals with the essential roles that we practice as school leaders consistently if we want to serve our communities. And so I want to transition from talking about how to manage a specific scenario like a student loss to a reminder of the common roles and practices that we have every day as principals and as school leaders that if we continuously practice these areas of responsibility, we can continuously grow in the way that we serve others. And this is actually a presentation that I do often for sometimes aspiring principals. I've also done this presentation for assistant principals, site principals, district leaders, uh, because these are roles that all of us share in common. And so I'm not gonna give you the full presentation today, but I wanna just walk through in just a few minutes some reminders of eight specific responsibilities that I think we need to be practicing. And as you're getting ready for Christmas break, this might be a good time to reflect during the new year about where can you grow in the way that you serve your school community based on these eight hats. The first, and here's all eight of them, and then I'm just going to walk through each one quickly. But I believe that a school leader to be effective in his or her leadership must wear the hat of a coach, the hat of a manager, the hat of a counselor, the hat of accountability or being on duty, the hat of a cheerleader, the hat of a servant leader, the hat of a team player, 
and the hat of the individual. And so, let's talk about each of those for just a couple of minutes. And if you'd like more feedback on each of these eight hats, I have a, another full presentation on this that I'd be glad to share with you if you'd like to email me for, for that uh, information. But let's talk about each one for just a moment. You are the coach. And if you are serving your school community this year as a coach, let me just give you some reminders. Someone has to be willing to set the tone for an organization to make the final calls when it comes to tough decisions, to listen to the input from others, and ultimately be the one who provides the direction and consistency and vision in a fair-minded way for those on their team. And that's why I like the analogy of a coach, because if you are serving your school as a coach, that means that you are collaborating with others, but making the strong final calls, because inaction creates instability. And we need people who are strong in making final decisions and taking action. The second hat is the hat of the manager. And I know it's not popular to talk about school leadership in the sense of, of management, but I do believe that part of the responsibilities that we have as school leaders involves strong management. And if you are a person that is responsible for the management of your building, that means that you have to be willing to understand the key responsibilities that every person plays in your organization and how do you guide them through that. And we, we did an entire presentation on KRAs in a previous webinar episode, so I'm not going to dwell on that in this conversation, but I do want to remind you that as you are a leader, you have to consistently be the person who provides the processes, the procedures, and the stability in your building or in your organization so that others feel like they do their jobs well. Think about throughout your building, what are the processes that you're helping to manage so that others can do their jobs successfully? The third hat is this, the hat of the counselor. I love the Stephen Covey quote that says, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. And you will never stop needing to listen to others. And one of the most important responsibilities that you have as a leader is to be a good listener. And I like to call that being the counselor because inevitably in school leadership, you will be someone who people come to because they need to vent, they need to ask questions, they need to complain, or they need direction. And so you must practice that role of, of the counselor so that you're providing strong feedback and ultimately that you're helping them find solutions. The next hat is this, the hat, the hat of accountability. You never stop practicing accountability no matter how high in leadership you find yourself. I think sometimes that leaders run risks when they think that positions of authority exempt them from the same processes or rules or regulations or expectations that they have for those whom they're leading. And so I just want to remind you that you are a person who's not only expecting others to be accountable, but you have to model that too. So do you have your staff members sign in in the morning? If you do, then you should be signing in in the morning. Do you have specific uh, processes that are followed for leave or for personal days or for sick days? Then you need to make sure that you're following those same policies and procedures too. So the same rules and regulations that apply to everyone else apply to us as leaders. When we, when we demonstrate that we're always on duty, we are responsible. We are accountable to others, those whom we serve and those whom, to whom we answer. Then we're modeling the kind of accountability that we want to see in those whom we're leading. The next hat is this, the hat of the cheerleader. And we've spent an entire episode talking about the power of communication. So I'm not going to dwell on tips for communication, but I just want to remind you that you must own 
the hat of the communicator for your school. And that means being present and visible. That means following up uh, meetings with email summaries so that people can hear good communication back from you. That means staying connected to parents and community members through consistent school updates. That means calling somebody or talking to them in person when they're upset and avoiding trying to email upset people because that usually doesn't help the situation. That means consistent photos and updates to media outlets about what's happening in your school. And so don't forget that as the hat of the cheerleader or communicator, you're the one that's responsible to make sure that the people in your school and in your community, your students and teachers know the great things happening in your schools and that they're hearing consistently about what's getting ready to happen next. The next hat is this, the hat of the servant leader. And I like to use my former superintendent, Rick Thomas, as an example, because when I was serving in Skytook, I always appreciated the fact that he was the first one to show up at situations or events or tailgate parties or faculty meetings or professional learning ready to serve. And we never stop in our leadership positions needing to demonstrate to others that we begin leading by being the first servants. That means that throughout your building, there's times where just like I can mop up a a, a spill with a tie on, we sometimes pick up the mop or the broom. And even though those may not be our primary responsibilities, we need to show others that we're willing to lead by serving them. And the next hat is this, to be a strong school leader, we have to consistently practice the part of team building. How are you being a team player? Because you cannot lead a school as a superhero. You're not a solo leader. Strong leaders always surround themselves with other people whose strengths complement their strengths and their strengths complement your weaknesses. And so you always accomplish more with others. And I have learned through the years that when I finally will humble myself, reach out to those around me and ask them for ideas, ask them for help, and collaborate with them, I always reach better goals than when I try to do things alone. And the last hat is this. You must maintain the role of personal growth. So the hat of the individual is just as important as every other hat that I just mentioned. I think it's important to remember that as you are looking at your role as a school leader, that if you're not investing in yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, financially, if you're not investing in those areas of your life that make you who you are as a person, then you're going to have a difficult time reaching and serving those on your team. So those are the eight hats. The hat of the coach, the hat of the manager, the hat of the counselor, the hat of, the, of accountability, the hat of the cheerleader, the servant leader, the team player, and the individual. Here's my question. Where do you need to grow? Where's an area within your own leadership where you need to maybe invest some time in growing so that you can serve those who are in your schools or your organizations with passion and with purpose? And so, I would love to have some feedback from you. If there's an area from that list where you would like more input or you'd like to have more conversation, then please uh, leave a comment or you can uh, reach out to me individually and I'd love to talk to you more and share more resources with you of areas where you can grow as a leader in those eight hats. Now, the last part of today's conversation is going to be something that is a practical takeaway for those of you that are getting ready to step into second semester because you're going to be doing a lot of interviews in second semester and 
you know, after 24 years of serving schools, I can say that I easily sat through probably more than a hundred individual interviews with people that I brought on to staff as teachers or non-certified positions or hiring assistant principals or looking for counselors or hiring paraprofessionals. And so I've had a lot of experience sitting in rooms with people who are talking to me for the first time about a position that's in my building. But I've also been in the hot seat too, where I've been the person that's interviewed for positions as a teacher or assistant principal or a high school principal or the position I'm in now as an executive director. And so I've found over the years some specific tips that are helpful if you are conducting interviews or if you are someone who's in the hot seat. And a few years ago, I actually had a young man who was interviewing for a position in my school who was fairly nervous and inexperienced in interviewing. And I found myself afterwards giving him some interview tips. And in fact, um, as I've gotten older and met more and more young people stepping into education, I've begun to just share some ideas with them before they step into interviews uh, that will help them perform well for those interviews. And I'm not asking people to be insincere or to, to be fake, but I do believe it's important that you are well prepared when you step into an interview. So let me share 10 tips that might help if you are someone who's stepping in or if you are coaching someone who's stepping into an education interview. And, and here, here, here they are. The first one is this, always write a solid resume. Um, I always look through a resume first before I talk to a candidate and a good solid, especially just a good one page, solid, concise resume helps me get a good first impression on a candidate. The second tip is this, don't be afraid to make a preemptive call or send a preemptive email. I know a lot of districts and organizations use systems for interviews where you fill it out online, but it's easy to go online and find out who the person is that will be the primary decision maker in the position you're looking at. Reach out to that person and let them know you're interested because that's a great way to make a good first impression too. The third tip is this, research your prospects. If you're looking at a school or an organization where you're going to be interviewing, then make sure that you understand that organization ahead of time. And websites are the best place to do that, but so is social media, and so is talking to somebody who actually works there. The next tip is this, rehearse your introduction and smile. I can't tell you how often I've sat through interviews with someone. When they finally smile, I realize how warm and inviting that person seems. But when they're not smiling and it's the first time I've met them because maybe they're nervous, they may seem off-putting or they may seem as if they're not going to be a good fit for my school. So I always encourage people when I'm coaching them for interviews to rehearse your introduction. Know ahead of time what you're going to say first and make sure that you say it with a smile. The next tip is this. Play to your strengths. Bring your A game. Educators are often the most humble people I know. And so sometimes we're really bad at talking about what we're good at. And so walk into an interview knowing what your strengths are and talk about them. Here are the last five tips. Anticipate questions and be prepared with examples. Almost every interview is going to ask you for an example of how you manage a difficult situation or where you need to grow or what's a situation where you've helped develop a program. So be prepared for those and have good examples prepared so that you're not caught off guard. The next tip is this, turn failures into stepping stones. Every one of us has areas of weakness, but how can we explain how we've taken that weakness and we've grown through it to become stronger. For instance, I used to talk often in my early years about the problems that I had as a student with procrastination. But as an educator, I had to learn to plan far ahead in advance to overcome my tendency to procrastinate. I turned a failure into a stepping stone. 
The next tip is this, bring your own questions. I like it when I'm sitting in an interview and a candidate, after we've walked through the questions, turns the table and begins to ask us questions because that means that they're vested in the position and they have thought deeply about whether they're going to be a good fit. So bring your own questions. And then rehearse your closure. Just like I encourage people to rehearse an introduction, know what you're going to say at the end and make sure that it's polite and that it's positive and don't be afraid to tell someone that you're really interested in this position and that you would love to be a part of their team. And then finally, my last tip is this, follow up every interview with an email or a card. Always show the courtesy to someone that you have reached back to them with some comment or some, something positive. Never follow up an interview with negative communication. And if you're not offered a position, never follow up that communication by questioning or challenging that decision because I have found that often people that are interviewing for one position, if they have a good impression with a candidate who might have been their second or third choice, they'll call that candidate back the next time they have an opening. So those are my interview tips. Also, I wanted to share a free resource with you. If you are ever looking at the possibility of interviewing for a principal or assistant principal opening or a school education leadership opening, I have a blog post that I have written on 30 questions specifically for principal interviews. And so there's a link here on this slide um, or you can go to um, my own website is williamdparker.com and you can just type the words 30 questions into the search bar there. And there's a long post there where I share um, specific questions that a, that a school leader can expect when they are uh, sitting through a specific principal interview. And then finally today, I want to wrap up with this story. You may have heard me tell this story if you've ever been around me for other conversations, but I love to talk about the stories of people who do amazing feats. And there's a woman named Diane Van Deren who is an ultra runner. And Diane Van Deren is known for not just marathons, but 100, 200, and 300 mile races. And I can't even imagine what it's like to run for a straight 24 or 36 hours like these ultra marathoners do. But Diane Van Deren did not begin her career in running as an ultra runner. She began running years ago simply because she wanted to stay healthy, but also she discovered that running helped her not have seizures. She was a woman who would suffer occasionally from seizures, and she discovered that if she stayed very fit and if she was running, that she was less prone to those episodes. But one day, her doctors told her that they had discovered a tumor in her brain that was causing the seizures, and that unless it was removed, she would continue to have seizures and that they would increase. So Diane Van Deren went through surgery, had the brain tumor removed, and began the long road of recovery and rehabilitation that comes from brain surgery. As she was recovering, she discovered something that had changed. Because of the brain surgery, Diane Van Deren had lost her ability to track time. And this was a disability on the one hand, but on the other, she realized, wow, this might actually be a benefit for me running. Because losing track of time means that she could increase her distances and not always be aware of how much time had passed. So she made it a goal at the end of her recovery. She wanted to train for her first ultra race, which was a 100-mile race. She recovered. She began to train. She ran this amazing race and became a hometown hero. So one of her local schools invited her in to talk to kids uh, about this surgery she'd been through, the recoveries that she'd gone through, the disabilities that she had had overcome. 
and using her weaknesses as strengths. And she had decided after this 100-mile race that this was the hardest thing she'd ever done, and she didn't really want to do any other ultra runs until she was stepping into a classroom that was full of students who were multi-handicapped. And one of the little girls up front at the end of Diane's sharing time raised her hand and said, Miss Van Deren, can I ask you a question? And Diane said yes, and she looked down and realized that the girl was in a wheelchair. And the girl said, Miss Van Deren, will you run your next race for me? And Diane Van Deren knew right then that she was not finished running because she knew that her running was inspiring people who couldn't run for themselves. And so as I wrap up this semester's webinar series with you on the action and the courage and the teamwork that it takes to be a school leader, I just want to remind you that you are not running this race alone and you're not running this race simply for yourself. Who are you running your race for? You're running it for the students and the teachers and the community members in your schools who depend upon you for someone who can provide the consistency and the vision and the courage and the direction that's needed for schools to serve students with passion and with purpose. But let's wrap up our conversation this week. Whether you are managing horrible situations like a student loss or whether you are reflecting on where you need to grow as a school leader and practicing all those eight hats of how do you serve your schools effectively, or whether you are preparing for spring interviews and thinking about how to, how to coach others that are interviewing or how to prepare for your own uh, possible interviews, or whether you're remembering why your service is important. I just want to encourage you that the work that you do matters. Thank you for being a school leader. Thank you for serving your students. Thank you for the time that you took to tune into this webinar. And I want to wish you again uh, a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas. Principal Matters listeners, if you've taken time to listen to the end of this conversation, thank you. And I want to wrap up this episode with a question for you. As you look at your new school year, I know that you're probably excited about the possibilities of what's ahead. And you know that nothing is guaranteed. Every day that we have is a blessing and a gift. So I want to end today by asking you, can you think of something big to dream about for 2018? Whenever I'm looking toward reaching new goals for a coming year, I like to set goals larger than I could possibly reach within a year. Because when I do, I know that I will have accomplished more than if I had set average or easy to reach goals. When I set my goals, I try to ask myself every day the question, what is one step that I've taken today to keep the momentum moving toward that goal? Even if I can only dedicate 60 seconds to a goal, that means I'm one minute closer to my target. So as you're leading your school or your organization and setting goals for yourself this year, dream big, not just for your school but also for your own personal growth. Because when you do, you will find yourself serving others even better. Shoot for targets beyond the ordinary. And when you do, don't be surprised when you hit extraordinary goals. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening into all of this content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon. You can connect with me at my website at williamdparker.com. And thanks for doing what matters.